Hey y'all, I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. We are the registered dietitian nutritionists and hosts of Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. So we wanted to tell you what our podcast is all about. Our podcast is designed to educate and excite conversations in women's health, food, nutrition, wellness, and cross-cultural health topics. Every week, we'll discuss proven techniques with an entertaining flair to energize you and encourage you in your journey to a healthier, physical, mental, and social well-being. So hold up, hold up, Jay. We're going to tell them what this means in other words. So our podcast doesn't only focus on the black and white of food and nutrition, because you know if you have a problem, your problem is almost always a different shade of gray. Am I right? For instance, one can argue that kale is healthier than spinach, but is it really though? In Nutrition Lifestyles, we're going to take you on a journey. We're going to teach you how to break down the latest craze in food when it comes down to pop culture. So if your goal is to live a better lifestyle and you are interested in becoming a better you, then listen to this episode to find out how. And also subscribe to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And don't forget to share this with your friends. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Joanne. And I'm Kim. So today we're going to discuss a topic that's a little bit more on a serious side, and that is the topic of eating disorders. And what we want to go into is we want to discuss the fact that eating disorders is not just a skinny girl problem or a white girl problem, as a lot of people um, seem to think. So I just wanted to um, put that out there so you guys can know that this is not a topic we take lightly at all. And we may not be experts in the eating disorder area, but we are still nutrition experts. And at the end of this, we will give you guys some guidelines as to where help can be found. So when we speak about eating disorders, such as anorexia, bulimia, purging, um, avoidance of food, restricting foods, intake disorders immediately come to mind that the media has done really a wonderful job of highlighting these disorders has impacting one class of women, which is white women. So yeah. the media usually focus on this. And we usually see pictures of white women um, as the ones who are being impacted with an eating disorder. So I'm not going to lie about it. It is a circulating myth right. that eating disorders is only a white girl's problem. Recently, Eating disorders organizations started to really go into how eating disorders are impacting other cultures. So it's not only a white girl's problems, a white girl problem, as we um, seem to have thought before, um, or some people seem to have thought before. It really impacts a lot of other cultures, ages, you know, genders. Basically, it knows no no restrictions. Um, but still, the iconic picture of eating disorders is still a young, thin, white girl or woman. And, you know, that's kind of sad because we're all familiar with the eating disorders of uh, Princess Diana and Paula Ab- Abdul and Lady Gaga. But what about the others? Right, right. Those are like usually the, the you know, those are the celebrities that have come out to talk about their eating disorders. So those are the faces that we typically remember, which, again, are thin white girls. 
So we know this is not true because eating disorder um, is really a psychological and social disorder mm-hmm. and it impacts all types of groups, whether you are female, whether you are male, geriatric population, young population, it doesn't matter what your gender is, you can still have an eating disorder. True. So, you know, individuals, other celebrities that have had eating disorders that do not fit into the thin white girl or white woman um, frame are individuals such as Janet Jackson and Sir Elton John, Brandy, um, and also Kerry Washington. All of these individuals have had eating disorders at some point in their life. But I think one woman of color that is very known for having an eating disorder is, can you guess who it is, Joanne? Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey, exactly. So I want to go into a little bit about the history of eating disorders. So as Joanne mentioned, eating disorders are psychological disorders that are a result of uh, many factors. Some of these factors are uh, sociocultural, um, and these eating disorders result as a pursuit of being thin or slender yes. or skinny. Uh, various eating disorders are as old as time. Like for instance, in the 12th and 13th centuries, some women would fast from food to show their devotion to God. And later on, as time went by in other centuries, I think it was like the 16th century, 17th century, don't quote me on this, Mm -hmm. some men also had obsessive thoughts on being thin. So as these thoughts revolved around the fact that being thin, being slender, being slim, being skinny and scrawny actually gave individuals a higher status in society. It gave them um, more power, more persuasion, and also more privilege. And today, in this Western culture, these are the body images that are valued. I know men and women of all colors may face some type of issues related to acceptance, power, and persuasion. And in last week's episode, we spoke about thin privilege and fat phobia. One of the things that we said is that, you know, historically speaking, black women and Latin women were a little more voluptuous until recently. However, Uh, Thin privilege has not disappeared. We hear about body acceptance, um, accepting your body image, but thin privilege is ever evolving and it's coming in different forms. So on top of all of these social factors, mental issues have come into play, which can impact eating. And these mental issues are coexisting or even co-occurring with eating disorders. Right. It's so funny that you say these things, um, Kim, in regards to fasting, because I think of even now today, you know, the church that I attend, there's always fast. And I'm pretty sure this is going on with a lot of other churches, too, where people are fasting to get closer to God or whatnot. And um, my mom has fasted, you know, my family, people in my family have fasted a lot. I myself, you know, it's so funny because I have never fasted. And it's probably because one, I like to eat (laughs) (laughs) and two, um, I work out so much that I I just can't find myself 
to be fasting and still be working out. Like I would not have any kind of nourishment to be able to do the workouts that I like to do. So that's one of the reasons I have not fasted. And to point to the um, comment you made about our previous episode on thin privilege and fat phobia, we got a lot of feedback from people agreeing with the fact that they feel like thin people have more privilege in this world. Yeah, that is. It honestly is. And, you know, that just reaffirms our point that thin privilege is not disappearing. As Mm -hmm. much as we want to think that it is no longer, that we're accepting everybody, every shape, size, and color, it's not disappearing. It it basically it's it's on the fence to me. It's it's on the fence along with issues such as racism. Cuz I mean, they're interconnected. Right. And you know, thin privilege, that kind of mentality is what affects and leads towards eating disorders because what people are seeing in the media is the thin people getting more likes more comments more this more that so why why don't I you know look like them start looking like them so that I can you know get those kind of privileges too you know I was having um I was telling Kim earlier how when I worked at a psychiatric facility you know had a lot of eating disorders and this is when I learned about the thigh gap like I had never heard that term before and this little girl was telling me that she wanted to have a thigh gap. Wow, and I don't know what to say. You know, say. everyone should know what it is now, but it's basically what we see in media, the space in between your thighs, and people think that this is the it thing to be. Thigh gap, learned about it. I'm <laughs> like, what is this? Okay, moving <laughs> right along. But also, you also mentioned the, the pressures of social media. Uh-huh. So I know that there's this term, ortho, ortho, if I'm saying that right, orthorexia. Basically, it's defined as like the obsessive behavior in the pursuit of a quote unquote healthy diet. Mm. But this condition actually restricts like people that have this this obsession with following a healthy diet. They're alert to this by the fact that they're seeing all these influencers who who look a certain way and are eating certain things. But it's really detrimental to their health. Oh, my goodness. That is so crazy. Right? It has a large part to play with mental wellness as well as how one presents themselves as um, being thin or being um, voluptuous. So on that mental wellness note, on the NIDA website, and NIDA stands for the National Eating Disorder Association, they actually break down eating disorders based on the pressures that different sects of people face. Because again, people think that only one group of people, you know, set of people, uh, you know, eating disorders only affect that group of people only. Right. So we want to make you guys aware of the different sects of people that have eating disorders. So the first one that we want to mention is the disabled community. I know we don't like to think about it a lot, but the disabled community actually face um, they're a different form of oppression. I remember speaking to um, a dietitian one time and she stated that she had broken her leg, but she was in like a wheelchair for like months. I'm not sure how complicated her issues were. So, you know, she got a little handicap sticker, handicap parking. And she was saying she went to a social event with other dietitians and they totally ignored her. 
because she was wow. in a wheelchair. So wow. that's one form of oppression that they face. They also face exclusion and even negligence, which may be a trigger to developing an eating disorder. And it may be a trigger because they realize, hey, they can't control what's going on in their lives. So let them take control of one thing that they can, which may be their diet. The other sect that eating disorder faces or affects rather are men. So in the United States alone, eating disorders affect 10 million males at some point in their lives. Wow. What's so sad about this is that men can face stigma for having a disorder which is characterized as quote unquote feminine. So they don't even seek help for it. Well, and you know, men already are the group of people who le- who seek mental health um, help the least compared to, you know, women. So I could already see that if a man is dealing with some kind of eating disorder issue, they're not going to seek help. And we don't, we forget the group of people who this is their job. They have to stay within a class, a weight class. And this is like the wrestlers and the boxers who even in high school, they're being weighed. And I don't know if this is daily or if this is weekly, they have to meet weight. I just remember that term meeting weight um, when I was in school for people who were on the wrestling team because they had to be a certain weight to fight a certain class. And to do this, people were either um, going into steam rooms or they were um, they were going into steam rooms to lose weight or they were drinking tons of water to meet weight to get, you know, a weight category. And it was like a back and forth mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, this kind of behavior leads to an eating disorder. Yeah, it does. And, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life. And I remember in high school, I used to hang out with the wrestlers because there was a there was this girl actually on the wrestling team. I'm like, well, man, if she can do it, I can do it, too. <laughs> so I used to hang out with them. I Praise God, I was never brave enough to actually join the team. But I used to hang out with the guys and I would see them, a lot of them like a week before the meet, before they had to weigh in, it will be hot. Cause you know, it's hot in Florida, Joanne, mm-hmm. hot. And they would be wearing sweats. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they would say, Kim, you know, I got to sweat off the weight. Cause I got to weigh in and I don't want to compete in a higher weight class because those boys are strong and I'm going to lose. I want to maintain, I want to stay in my weight class. That is crazy. This was really the first time it was brought to my attention that eating disorders do exist within this community. Wow. I, I never even thought about that, them wearing sweats, because it is hot in Florida. And I do remember people always had on sweats. That makes tons of sense now. Um, another community that faces eating disorders is the LGBTQ plus community. I cannot they believe that. They face discrimination. They face post-traumatic stress disorders and also bullying on top of it all. And they also have to face a healthcare system, which may be incompetent to meet their mental needs as well as their physiological needs. Um, let's talk about a little, little bit about the physiological needs. So um, I am a uh, acute 
care dietitian. I do work in a hospital. And there was one time I had a patient and the patient was on hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. And it was like a whole funk. It was a little strange because it was the patient was transitioning from male to female. And really, the provider did not know what labs to adhere to. Because, of course, you know, for males and females, there's different lab criteria. That is one of the mm. ways that healthcare may underserve this population. Um, another thing is triggers to eating disorders and body image images in older adults may also arise. Like I work a lot with the geriatric population and I meet a lot of geriatric women like in their 70s and 80s who are telling me that they want to lose weight. And my whole philosophy, mm. of course, if there there's a disease that's in, involved and they could lose some weight to help slow the progress of that disease, then by all means. But if it's a healthy 70 something year old woman, I always let them know, you know, as you as you age, your body may hang on to a little fat, which can be protective for you. There is nothing wrong with being a little more voluptuous because hypothetically speaking, let's say that you fall and you break that hip, you're going to need a little rebound. Your body's going to need a little reserve. And you know, the funny thing is, I, you know, I too work with a lot of geriatric folks and, you know, the younger we are, we tend to want to be mm-hmm. on the smaller side of things and we want our body fat percent to be lower and whatnot. But studies have come out and have shown that the geriatric population, it's more optimal for them to be in the higher end of things um, when it comes to body fat. So it actually is quite protective for them. Right. And then also other categories of older adults that may be impacted by eating disorders are pregnant women, which we have a whole episode on. So if you didn't listen to last week last week's episode on thin privilege, fat phobia, and the snapback culture, please do so, so that you can see how pregnant women are impacted. Also, individuals who go through a divorce are more likely to have eating disturbances. Individuals which retire from a job and also those parents that are experiencing the empty nest syndrome. So all of these eating disorders are, I mean, they're not coming from Kim and Joanne. Mm -hmm. They are documented and they are on that NIDA website. And um, let me just go out and clear this up so people won't think that Kim and I are calling pregnant people older people. She was just stating, you know, younger kids and pediatrics population. That's what she meant when she said the older adults Um, and if you guys, you know, look at this, you'll see that. So these groups of people who are divorcing, retiring, um, who are going through some kind of traumatic issues in their life, you know, things that are outside of their control, it, that's where that eating disorder comes and this leads to people developing an eating disorder. So now we spoke about the disabled community. We spoke about men, the LGBTQ plus community, and also adults. So now we want to look at communities of color. So something that I found very striking is black teenagers are 50% more likely than white teenagers to exhibit 
bulimic behaviors such as binging and purging. You know, that is crazy to me. And I was going through my mind trying to figure out why that is. And and I'm pretty sure, you know, a mental health expert would be way better able to explain this to us. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, a black teenager would have a hard time telling their parents, no, I'm not eating the food you just cooked. And you worked hard, you know, to put in front of me to eat. So I could see them more likely purging, binging and purging than being anorexic um, in the sense that they would eat the food that mama put in front of you and then go and purge it. But, you know, again, I'm not a mental health expert, but that in my mind, I was trying to figure out why is it that they're 50% more right, likely exactly. than white teenagers. And I mean, I, I tend to agree with you on that because growing up in the United States, Joanne and I are, we're black teenagers and mm-hmm. there was, there was no way. Nope. No way. But we're not saying that this is the definitive answer. Um, right. Hypothesizing. And then also additionally, even though like the statistics are not available for Hispanic and Asian teenagers, it doesn't mean that their numbers aren't astounding as well. Agreed. So, you know, genetically, women of color have, as we've talked about before, um, we tend to carry a little bit more weight than our Caucasian counterparts. So someone that may be, let's say 10, 15, or even 50 pounds overweight can suffer from eating disorders also. So, you know, the thought that only thin people have eating disorders is totally incorrect. You can be obese, you can be overweight, you can be curvy, you can be voluptuous, and, you know, you can have an eating disorder. A lot of the times eating disorders, they're not necessarily have they don't necessarily have anything to do with appearance like we said before it has a lot to do with people trying to control um something in their lives eating disorders they can be caused by so many different things you know trauma rape abuse of some kind um domestic abuse and you know these people are trying to find something to control in their lives and this is what they they control People may not like the color of their eyes. I mean, it could go on and on. The reason behind um, eating disorders developing. True. Um, Typically, when we think of eating disorders, we don't associate it with the black community because we often think, especially in areas where there are food insecurities, why in the world would someone restrict their food? And that's, you know, that's the ignorant thinking that you know, I, I had in the past prior to being in this field. So the reality is that eating disorders, it can come in the form of food restrictions. It can come in the form of binging, um, night eating syndrome. Basically, no one is immune. And we really need to be more open-minded and listen and watch for cues from our families and friends and just so that we can know if somebody is experiencing an eating disorder and not just say, Oh, she just didn't want to eat today. That's her bad. You know, we put the food in. that's her, that's her problem or that's his problem. You know, we need to look at it. And you know, something with that too, Joanne, I remember when I was in story time, I'm always telling stories. <laughs> I, I remember when I was in the sixth grade, I had a friend named Sylvia. I, I don't know what happened to Sylvia, but I, Sylvia was Hispanic origin. She was European Hispanic origin. I don't remember specifically where she was from, but I remember one day Sylvia said to me, oh, you know, I'm not going to eat lunch because I'm getting too fat. Mm. And I remember at 11 years old, I'm looking at Sylvia and I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like you're getting too fat. And then she said to me, 
her mom told her that she's putting on a little too much weight. So she needs to cut back on her food. And, you know, I'm trying to rack my brain to see if I knew anything about weight. If I thought of weight thin versus thick when I was that age, I don't think I did. But you know, the funny thing is like today, this morning, I was carpooling the kids to school. So I have this tendency to have these little um, names for my kids. And so I'll call him, I was calling, I call him potato. And it's not to call him fat or anything. It's just a little, um, in, you know, a little cutesy name, right? That I gave him. And so today, this morning, he was saying, "I'm, I'm ugly and I'm fat." And I said, "What, Juju? Where'd you get that from?" And he was like, "Well, Preston calls me fat." And I said, "Really?" And Preston, my oldest, he was right there in the car with us, and he didn't say anything. And I was driving, so I couldn't turn around to see what his face, facial features were, like if he was guilty of doing that, because I can't really actually remember him calling Juju fat. So I had to go into the Juju, you're not fat. Why do you think you're fat? And this is when Preston chimed in, and Preston was like, "Well, we're bigger than Bryson, and Bryson is my my second um, child, and he's on the thinner side." because of his um, food intolerances that he has. And it's not because that he is so much thinner than the other boys. He just looks smaller because of those issues. And um, my other boys, Preston and Juju, they're just a little bit more bigger than him because of the fact that they absorb their foods normally or whatnot. But they are not fat or obese or overweight in any way, shape, or form. So I had to go into, even though he's three years old, I wanted to put it into his mind because I didn't want him having those kind of thoughts. So I wanted to go into the, Juju, you're not fat. Okay, boo-boo. You know, and you're definitely not ugly because you're mommy's child. <laughs> right. You know, but I, and I started thinking to myself and I'm like, man, has me calling him potato been a negative thing, you know? making him think that he's fat, even though he's not. It's just a little cutesy name that I gave him. Um, I like chubby babies. I mean, who doesn't like chubby babies? Like, really? Right. I I like chubby babies. So when they're chubby, I'm like, oh, you're such a cute little potato. And then that kind of stuck with him. So even at three years old, the fact that he was calling himself fat and the way he said it, it's had such a negative tone to it. I had to like try to cut it out right then and there to make him understand like, you're not fat. Being fat has nothing to do with being ugly. The two of them are not the same thing. Like I had to try to cut it right then and there. Because in my mind, if he kept thinking that way, even at three years old, I didn't want him down the line, you know, having low self-esteem and thinking of himself a certain way because of what he had learned a few years prior. That's really a serious insight. Like, you know, kids nowadays, they're so quick. Like they pick up on like different insinuations from the media. Right. And the fact that your three-year-old will associate being fat with something negative, like, wow, that that's serious. Because I know yeah. like in other cultures, it's actually a positive thing to have a little more flesh on your bones. It is in our cultures, in, our, in the Caribbean lifestyle, like it's a good thing. I remember my parents, oh my goodness, God bless them. <laughs> my parents when I was younger like there's this thing in Jamaica it's it's a pill that you would give your chickens to fatten them up 
And my parents, you know, growing up, like little kids, they don't, we eat like birds. Little kids used to eat like birds. Mm -hmm. But my parents would always say, if you don't eat your dinner, I'm going to give you the chicken pill. I mean, there were even some people I knew who would give their children that just to thicken them up. I'm not surprised. I remember I have a, I mean, this is now uh, stories are starting to fall out my mind now. (laughs) I remember when I was in my early teens. So I've always like been able to eat. And eat and eat and not gain an ounce when I was little, when I was young, not always, because this ain't happening now, Lord. Um, But so I remember going to visit my aunt in Jersey and afterwards coming back and just like eating more than I usually did, like eating like a lot, a lot. And I started to pick up weight. And there's this thing in Haiti, it's like an appetite stimulant, it's called IPTV. It basically kind of translates into, um, fast appetite or making you have a lot of appetite. And so I remember a couple of years back in my adult age, asking my aunt and my mom, I'm like, did y'all lace my food during that summer? And they, they were like, yeah, you weren't eating enough for us. Like you weren't picking enough weight. My mom was like, you know, I wasn't thick enough. So they had to do something about it. I'm telling you our parents, man, isn't that funny? Yeah, it is. So with all this, we, again, are not eating disorder experts, right? And when it comes to the mental health side of things and working in a psychiatric facility, I've learned that the two go hand in hand when it comes to treating eating disorders. For myself, I never felt comfortable, nor was I even able to treat anyone without having a mental health therapist or a psychiatrist. Um, alongside, uh, you know, my treatments, my medical nutrition therapy. So when it comes to our recommendations for this episode, we highly recommend that you or your loved one, if you suspect a loved one is experiencing an eating disorder, that they contact a mental health therapist alongside a dietitian that is an expert with eating disorders so that treatment can be Um, found. And, um, you know, there's a lot of symptoms and signs that comes with trying to figure out whether someone that is close to you is experiencing an eating disorder. And we are going to post on our Facebook page, some signs and symptoms for you to, Mm -hmm. to know. And you can also go on the National Eating Disorder website, if you're um, curious to find out What are the signs and symptoms when it comes to different kinds of eating disorders? Yeah, so guys, please remember to rate and review this episode. I know it was a very serious topic, but eating disorders exist anywhere. It's really, just to recap, not a white girl or a white woman problem. So again, remember to rate and review and also connect with us on our Facebook group. Thanks for listening. Until next week. Bye, guys. Bye. If you haven't subscribed to the Nutrition Lifestyles podcast, please do so. Most importantly, we want to extend a special invitation to you to join the Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne Facebook page and the Nutrition Lifestyles pod club. You were not meant to do this alone. It is important for us to surround ourselves with people who mirror positivity related to health and nutrition. So all you have to do to follow our page and join our private pod club is hop on over to Facebook and search for Nutrition Lifestyles Pod Club and the Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne page. 
Click on the join and like buttons respectively, and then you will gain access to tips to jumpstart a nutritious lifestyle, a tribe to cheer you on your journey, hot topics on health and nutrition, and also it's a hub to connect with me and Kim. We are really looking forward to mingling with you. So see you on Facebook.